You know, we all have burdens and concerns that keep us awake at night, don't we? Things like, you know, what's tomorrow, what will tomorrow bring? Will our health hold up? Will we have a heart attack or a sudden stroke like someone else we know? Will someone uh, we know test positive for the coronavirus? Will we end up in a nursing home? Or will we waste away in a hospital? What about our children? What if something happens to them? Who will take care of us in our old age? See, we all have burdens and concerns that run through our minds and keep us awake at night. Singles wonder if they ever will marry. Married couples look at all the divorces and wonder if they're going to make it. Will we live long enough to see our grandchildren grow up? Will we wonder where we'll be in five years or ten years? You know, some recent headlines don't help. Panic hits global markets. Anxiety grips companies across the world. The most daunting virus in half a century. The food chain is breaking. Shoppers throw punches over toilet paper. You remember that a few months ago? Okay. And I think it's paper towels now for some reason. The coronavirus pandemic uh, reminds us that we are not in charge. And we are more vulnerable than we ever dreamed. No one imagined a global shutdown four or five months ago, but here we are. In these uncertain days, it seems that we need to focus on the promises that God has made to us. And there are three truths, I think, that ought to encourage us. One, don't worry about tomorrow because God is already there. Over the past few months, I have received quite a few notes from people saying they're praying for me and praying for our staff at the church, and I've had my share of concerns in all this new normal, the same as you have. But I have also strangely felt the Lord saying, hey, don't worry, I got this. That simple statement brings comfort to my heart, and we all need to remember that this is no surprise to God. God's got this. Secondly, God promises to be with us no matter what happens to us. Uh, this is true today and tomorrow and the day after tomorrow and all the days after that. We cannot outlive God's mercy. We come and go, but the Bible reminds us that God's mercy endures forever. And then third, God has, uh, has us on his heart at this very moment. He will not forget us because he cannot forget us. And to all of our fears, the Lord simply says, I am with you always. That brings me to our text this morning, which is in the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 13, the first eight verses. Let me read these words. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without even realizing it. Remember those in prison as if they were as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. Now here comes the promise. 
For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the writer says, the Lord is my helper, so I have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, God knew that we would doubt this promise. So he wrapped it in five negatives. Twice he repeats two Greek words that mean no. And then he adds another word that also means no. It's hard to bring out the proper emphasis in English, but it's as if God is saying, I will never, 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 never leave you or forsake you. Absolutely not. The hymn that we're going to close with this morning um, is called How Firm a Foundation. But it catches the meaning of this promise. In verse 1 it says, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? And then verse 5 says, The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. When the famous preacher uh, Charles Spurgeon many years ago taught on this topic, he pointed out four examples out of many in the Bible where God said to someone, I am with you. And I want to touch on those four examples uh, this morning. And the first one is Jacob, the cheater. These are the words the Lord spoke to Jacob when he was running away from his problems. And you can listen to this great promise. It's found in Genesis chapter 28, verse 15. What's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything that I have promised you. Now Jacob has been on the road for two days when he gets this message from God. He is running because, why? He stole the inheritance from his brother Esau and deceived his father into giving him the blessing that was meant for his brother. And that double deceit destroyed his family. It enraged his brother who wanted to kill him. His family is fractured and he's running for his life. And that night with a stone for his pillow, sleeping in the wilderness under the starry sky, he dreams of angels coming and going on a ladder that stretched from heaven to earth. And until this moment, God has never spoken to Jacob directly. To his grandfather Abraham, yes. To his father Isaac, yes. To Jacob, no. And I'm sure the last thing Jacob expected to hear that night was the voice of the Lord. Why would God speak to him after what he had done to his father and to his brother? But God meets him at his point of desperation. As he is leaving the promised land, running from his brother, running for his life, disgraced and guilty, now God speaks to him. 
C.S. Lewis called pain God's megaphone to rouse a sleeping world. He writes, the Lord whispers in our pleasure, but he shouts in our pain. Now at last, Jacob is ready to listen to the Lord. When the painful truth finally catches up to Jacob and he has nowhere to go, why did he cheat? Why maybe he reasoned, if God were here, I wouldn't have to do the things this way, but God's not here, so I've got to take care of my stuff. I've got to take care of myself. Here is God's message to Jacob. Jacob, I'm nearer than you think I am. I was with you when you tricked Esau and when you deceived your father, and I am with you now when you are running for your life. Everywhere you go, I go with you. And at this point, Jacob feels guilty about his past. He feels fearful about the future. He feels uncertain about the present. And to all of that, God simply says, I will be with you. It's a total solution to guilt, fear, and anxiety. You see, we all need to learn that important lesson. There is no place that we can go in this world where God is not already there. Now, secondly, let's notice Israel, the terrified. The scene shifts to the Jews as they are gathering on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Moses is now an old man and about to die. And knowing that uh, the enemies his people would face as they enter the promised land of Canaan, Moses gives this amazing promise in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. He says, so be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you, he will neither fail you nor abandon you. Now when Moses says, don't be afraid of them, he's talking about the pagan nations that are surrounding the Jews. And the list includes uh, the Hivites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Edomites and the Moabites and the Jebusites and the Perizzites and the Philistines and there's a whole lot more. And that's a daunting list of bad guys. Winston Churchill once wrote a book called The Splendid and the Vile, and it chronicled the first year that he was prime minister, when the Nazis seemed unstoppable and the eventual destruction of England seemed inevitable. Uh, Hitler so far was undefeated as his enemies just raced across Europe. And in his first speech as prime minister, Churchill spoke with brutal honesty, and he said, I have nothing to offer you but blood and toil and tears and sweat. And the following years proved the truth of those words. The Israelites were now in the promised land but facing a math problem. If you stacked up the armies that were against them, there were way too many bad guys for them to fight. They were doomed to defeat. But the question is always, who's on your side? (laughs) If God is with you, you can't lose. And it's as simple as that. Yes, there will be blood, toil, sweat, and tears, but when you fight with God on your side, you cannot lose. And that's the message to the people of God, even today. Here's the third example. Joshua, the fearful. 
Now run the clock forward a few weeks. Moses is dead. Joshua is now the leader of people, his people Israel. They still must cross the Jordan River and begin this long series of battles that would take them 70 years to complete. The question has become very personal. Is Joshua up to the challenge? And here's God's promise to Joshua in chapter 1, verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Now as you think about this great promise, don't overlook the phrase, as I was with Moses. Joshua knew all about Moses because he had been the right-hand man of Moses. For many years, Moses stood before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And when Pharaoh said no, Moses said it again, and Pharaoh hardened his heart and refused God's mercy. And then the plagues came, and right down to the boils and the frogs and the darkness and the hail and the water turned to blood, and Pharaoh still did not relent. And finally, one terrible night, as you know the story, the death angel passed over the land, taking the life of the firstborn in Egypt, and only those with the blood of the lamb on the doorpost were spared. Only then did Pharaoh grudgingly relent. And when the people of God were trapped at the Red Sea, Moses did what? Stretched his staff out over the waters, and the waters parted, so the people walked across on dry land. Later, Moses went up the mountain, and he talked to God face to face, and he came down with the Ten Commandments written in stone by the finger of God, and miracle after miracle happened while Moses was alive. For 40 years, their shoes never wore out in the desert. For 40 years, they never ran out of food. For 40 years, they never lost a battle. Moses, quite a man. I don't blame Joshua for feeling a little inadequate. How do you follow and replace a legend? Will God be with Joshua as he was with Moses? And the answer is yes. Why? Because God said, I will never leave you. What a wonderful promise. Many of us have heard the antiphonal chant that goes something like this. The pastor says, God is good. Congregation says what? All the time. And then the pastor says, and all the time, and the congregation says, God is good. You've you've done this before. You may or may not know that that chant started in churches in Nigeria, but they add something after they say, say it. Everyone says in unison, and I am a witness. And I like that. It's powerful. It's biblical. That's the deeper meaning of the promise that God made to Joshua. It's not a promise of an easy road. It's not a promise of unlimited victory and no tears. After all, Joshua is a book all about battles. God is saying, you've got to fight for the land I'm giving you, but I'm going to go with you every step of the way. Now, the fourth example I want to Uh, highlight this morning is that of Solomon. Solomon the timid. As King David grew older, he wanted to build a temple for the Lord in Jerusalem, but the Lord told him that he couldn't do it because he was a man of blood. God's house must be built by a man of peace. David accepted God's decree and he called on his son Solomon to build the Lord's temple. And here uh, is David's encouragement to his son in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 20. 
Be strong and courageous. And do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. He will see to it that all the work related to the temple of the Lord is finished correctly. It's kind of a heavy load to lay on a young man, isn't it? Solomon was the wisest man on earth, but he followed the man who was known as the man after God's own heart. Joshua followed Moses, and that was hard enough, but Moses wasn't his father. It's hard to be the son of a famous person. David was a natural leader, a gifted poet. He was a mighty warrior. He unified the tribes of Israel and inspired the nation. And without a doubt, he was the greatest king Israel ever had. How would, how would you like to follow a leader like that? See, we get the, a glimpse of the pressure Solomon faced when David asked the leaders of the nation to support his son And then King David turned to the entire assembly and said, My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals, it is for the Lord God himself. The Hebrew word translated inexperienced can also mean tender, delicate, timid. And clearly David is... Wondering if his son is up to the task, maybe he's too timid, maybe he's too fearful. How many times do we feel like um, maybe we aren't, we don't have enough to do what God is asking us to do? Maybe we feel like uh, we don't have all the skills, we don't have all the talent. But here's God's word to us today. God will not leave us and he will not forsake us. He will finish the work that he's called us to do. Everything God has for us is contained in these simple words. I will never leave you. Whatever we need from the Lord, he's going to supply because he will never leave us. If we feel inadequate, that's good because we will depend on him even more. How do we know that's true? Well, there are many answers to that question. We might simply remind ourselves of what God has done in the past. Has he brought you through some deep waters? Has he brought you through some dark nights, some bitter tears? And if he did not leave you then, why would he leave you now? Think of all the prayers God has answered. Will all of those prayers of yours be wasted? See, God never starts anything he doesn't finish. I remember visiting the Chippewa Indian Reservation in Mount Pleasant in the early 80s when I was serving as pastor at the Mount Pleasant Church. This was long before the casino moved in and changed everything, but the first thing I noticed driving in to the reservation was a long stretch of unfinished houses on either side of the road. Actually, it was half a house. You see, and when I ask uh, why, I was told that the government came in and built half the house. And the residents were supposed to put up the money and build the other half. But many never completed the house. They just lived in the half that the government workers built. But you know what? That never happens with God. What he starts... He finishes. 
And that's true of you and me. God has not brought us this far to leave us. God's honor depends on him finishing the work that he began in us. And so I invite you to hold on to this truth. God will never let you go. Let me remind you one more time of the teaching of Hebrews 13.5. It contains five negatives that guarantee our salvation. As the songwriter said, that soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. We are never alone. We are never abandoned. We are never out there all on our own. So what should we take away from all this? Well, if like Jacob we're guilty, take heart. God will never leave us. If, if we're like Israel and terrified, take heart. God is not going to leave us. If we're like Joshua and we feel unqualified, take heart. God will never leave us. If we're like Solomon and we are a little timid at heart, God will never leave us. Think about it this way. God not only is with us now, he is way up the road ahead of us. He is the God who goes before his people, and to me that is a mind-blowing truth, to know that wherever, whatever I do, God is already out in front. Are you worried about next week? Forget it. God is already there. Are you worried about that next doctor's appointment? Sleep well. God is already there. What about the tough decision that you're being forced to make? Fear not, God is already there. See, it would be enough if God walked with us through the events of life, but he does much more than that. God actually goes ahead of us, clearing the way, arranging the details, so when we get there, we can have confidence that God has already been there ahead of us. He's at work in the future, as we live in the present. Our God was with us yesterday, he's with us today, and he will be with us tomorrow. And that mean, that's, that what it, that's what it means when, he's, when he says, I will never, ever leave you. Many of us need to hold on to that truth. Many in our culture today need to hold on to that truth. I passed over one part of Jacob's story. Let me mention it now. When Jacob awoke from his dream, he exclaimed, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. How typical of us. We think the Lord has forgotten us sometimes, but we are the ones who usually forget him. Where is God when we need him? He's right where he's always been. Sometimes we don't recognize it. We can run away from God to the other side of the earth, but when we get off the plane... You better believe he's going to be with us at the baggage claim. See, relatively few people meet God just on Sunday morning. We are more likely to meet God when we're on the bed of affliction or when we lose our job or when our children are sick or when our friends betray us or when our marriage collapses. We're much more likely to meet God in a very personal way after an accident we're in a time of trial in our life rather than just during coffee time on Sunday morning, which we can't have right now, but you can imagine if we have it. But often we don't pay attention to, to the Lord until tragedy strikes in our life. And then at last we look up to heaven and say, surely the Lord was in this place and I didn't even know it. 
So it brings me back to the great promise, we are never alone. Let me tell you what I, how I learned this. I want you to um, hold up your right hand. Will you do that? Let's see, that's this hand, okay, for me. Um, how I learned this was holding up the right hand and starting with a thumb, repeating this phrase, I will never leave you. I will never leave you. Build your life. Build your life on that truth. God has said, wherever you go, I will go with you. And that leads me to a simple conclusion. Christians ought to be the calmest people on this earth because we know the Lord and he's the one who holds the future in his hands. He was with us yesterday. He is with us today. He'll be with us tomorrow. So chin up, pull those shoulders back, put a smile on your face, and know that you are never, ever alone.